You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. I'm going to stand down here. I like, uh, it's fun sometimes when we do have smaller crowds. I don't know. Um, yeah, being a, being a small church plant, sometimes it's like, all right, what's, what's this going to be like? Who's going to come? And all those different things. But there are times, it's just, it's just different, right? When it's a smaller crowd and you get to um, interact differently. And so I'm excited about that this morning. Um, my name is Luke. For those of you who are new with us, I don't know if there's anybody new here, but we're not going to call you out. Isn't it interesting how when, uh, when I was growing up going to church, if you were new at church, they made you stand up and people would applaud for you. And I can remember thinking, if I was new, that would be the first and last time I came to that church. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> we, we are going through the very last part of, of Ephesians 6 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you not to turn there. <laughs> I'm actually going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 2, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Um, and it's interesting, as I was going through this passage and as we're finishing up this, this letter that Paul is writing to this church, um, I, I was thinking with the guys, with uh, Todd and Stan, I was thinking, come on, guys, you could have given me more to work with. Um, they gave me the very last, like, goodbye section. And yet, it's so interesting as we look at this section that, that we see so much more than just goodbyes. We, we, we get to see in the church of Ephesus... Right, This church that we've been talking about for the past few months, we get to see its birth in Acts chapter 19. We get to see this letter of encouragement that Paul writes as this church is trying to figure out who they are and what this is going to look like and what their ministry is and all of these different things. But we also get to see in Revelation kind of a follow-up, like, uh, like the rest of the story about, by Paul Harvey. You guys remember that? I used to, I used to love good old Paul, Paul Harvey. Um, but this morning, as, as I was thinking about this passage... I, I was thinking about just this time of the year, you know, and I love Christmas. I've told you guys that a few times. Love Christmas. I'm getting so excited for the fact that next week I get to wake up super early and tear into my stocking. <laughs> uh, you know, next week, I guarantee I'm going to get the kids up early. I'm going to be like, why are you guys sleeping? Because it happens every year. Like, I just can't sleep on Christmas. And I get so excited. The one thing I don't get excited for on Christmas is like going to the store on around this time of the year. Anybody else like that? I, there, there's some people that they just live for that. Those are like the, the Black Friday people that just kind of weird. Um, we can say that here in church, right? Um, and if you're that type of person, that's fine. Uh, it takes all kinds. Um, but last week, we took our kids to Target because we're, uh, we're trying to help them understand what things cost and, and all of that. And so uh, we gave them a little bit of money and we're like, all right, here's your, here's your list of people you want to buy for. So here's your money. Make it work, you know? And, and so they, they went out and and, and it was just interesting as they go out into this mass of people. And we kind of stayed close. Like, we're not terrible parents. But, but we kind of stayed close and, and kept an eye over them from afar. But it's, it's interesting as you go through the mass of people and you have your list of people that you want to buy for. And isn't it inevitable that, I don't know about you, but I don't do a whole lot of Christmas shopping. But it seems like there's always a few people on my list that's like, I really don't want to buy presents for this person. Like, if I were just to be honest, this is, it's a small crowd here, so I can be honest, right? Um, I'd be honest, never mind. But 
as, as I'm looking through my list, it's like there's, there's always people that's like, I, I'm buying them presents because it's Christmas. Like that's the only reason. Not out of an overflow of my heart, not out of an overflow, but it's because of obligation. Because most of the time, I, it's like, well, they're probably going to get me something, so I guess I need to get them something. And then, and then you have to go through, like, what's the least amount that's acceptable for you to spend on, on a gift if they're going to get you something? Like, can you get a $5 Edward Scissorhands DVD? Is that acceptable uh, for, for a gift? And, and can you imagine, like, like as, you, as you go and as you get, maybe you guys don't go through this, but... As you, as you go through this and if you, as you give the person a gift, they're like, oh, thank you so much. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's Christmas, so I, I had to get you something, right? I mean, can you imagine if you actually verbalize what's going on in your heart and mind, right, in, in those times? And just think about this. What if you were that person on somebody else's list? They give you a gift, and it's like, well, I mean, it's Christmas, right? I, I had to give you something because it's Christmas. It's like, wow, that doesn't feel good. Right? I don't want, there's something about obedience separated from love that just doesn't feel good. Like, anybody ever experienced that? Like, especially around Valentine's Day, where it's like, you know, like wives or, or gals, have you ever gotten a gift where it's like, well, I mean, it's Valentine's Day, I had to get you something, right? Doesn't that take it down a notch? Where it's like, oh, thank you so much for, thank you for, for thinking of me. And, and it's like, well, I mean, to think of you. It's Valentine's Day. There's something wrong with, with obedience apart from love, isn't there? And, and it's so interesting as we look at the book of Ephesians and as it closes out, Paul's final words to this church, as you see, I, I threw it up here on the screen. I, I want to read this, read this to you. It's Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 21. It says this, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this, for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So this guy, uh, this guy Tychicus, I mean, he's, it's Paul's friend. It's, he's uh, maybe with him as Paul is in prison and Paul's writing this letter and, and he gives it to Tychicus and Tychicus takes it out and, and brings it to the church and he's saying, hey, if you want follow-up, like if you want a question and answer time after this is read, just ask him. Right? He'll fill you in. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. See, Paul is saying here in the very, in the very last, and, and that's, he closes the letter, right? That's the end. Paul is saying here in this, the very last part of this letter, he's saying, guys, after all we've talked about, after all, after the identity stuff, after, after the, the talk about loving husbands, love your wives, and, and wives, love your, love your husbands, and submit to your husbands, and children, obey your parents, and, and you know, slaves and masters, and workers, and all these things. He's like, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want to leave with you, is that grace and peace to all who love Jesus with a love incorruptible, with a love that doesn't change, with a love that doesn't get, get kind of watered down by everything that's going on around you. Saying, hold true to that. Hold true to this, to this love. Don't, don't miss the main thing. Because obedience without love is missing the point. And, and I love the fact that we get to go to Revelation chapter 2. And it's almost like we get to see, well, how did they do? How did these people do? This church that is so faithful. This church that, that we see, again, in Acts 19, the birth. And then Ephesians, we get to see this encouragement. And in Revelation 
to, and by the way, if you haven't picked up one of these Christmas Eve cards, I grabbed one to mark my place, but we have these so you can invite your friends and all that stuff. But in, in Revelation chapter two, it says this in verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now this is Jesus, okay, real quick, just clarify it. John the, the, the disciple John, the apostle John, who, who wrote the book of John, is, is here on the, this island. He's, he's been um, cast out. He's, uh, he, he was called by Jesus to be a disciple. He, he was there when Jesus did all of these different miracles. He saw Jesus do amazing things, raise people from the dead. He saw Jesus um, persecuted. He saw him arrested. He was in the garden when he was arrested. He, he saw him be beaten He saw him be hung on the cross. He was there when Jesus breathed his last and said, it is finished. And he was there when Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And he was there when Jesus was taken up into heaven. And he heard heard all the things of Jesus. And now he's at this place in his life where he's seen all the other disciples die terrible deaths as martyrs. And he himself, as, as most likely from tradition, tells us that he has been boiled alive. People have tried to kill him. He was boiled alive but didn't die. And so they're like, well, this guy won't die. So let's just stick him on a godforsaken island somewhere. And this isn't like the Caribbean, right? This isn't like he, he lives out his days in a hammock eating coconuts. Like this is, this is a rocky, just terrible existence. And into this, Jesus appears to him in a vision. And he says, write this down. Okay, write this down and send it out. He says, and again, to the angel in the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse two, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary Skip ahead to verse six. It says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, can you imagine Jesus, he's, he's writing this church, this letter. Can, can you imagine if, if this is Anthem Church, like, I don't know, 15 years from now? Who knows where we'll be? 15 years from now, but it's fun to think about because I always think like 15 years from now, we're going to be, we're going to be saying, you remember that first Christmas when all the students were gone and it was kind of nasty weather out and we had a really small crowd, but it was super fun and awesome, right? You, you remember when, and 15 years from now, I can imagine like Todd gets up, right? Wherever we're at, um, no matter what's happening, but Todd gets up and, and he's like, hey, Anthem Church, good morning. If you're new with us, I just want to start off the morning by reading a letter to you, right? And he's like, it's actually a letter written by Jesus to us, Anthem Church. It's like, oh, I'm glad I came today, right? This is awesome. There's a letter from Jesus. We don't, I mean, the Bible is, a le- yeah. I mean, if it's a literal letter, right? Postage, return address, heaven, right? And, and, and he, starts, he starts talking about like, I know your works. I know what you guys have done. And he, he starts to go through this list of like attaboys, right? Attaboy, right? Or as, as our college students say, let's go, as the young people say, right? <laughs> and, and he goes through these different things and he says, I know your toil. 
And that idea of toil, it's this, it's this idea that, that they were actively going forward with the cause of Christ. And, and I, I can imagine if he's standing up and saying, Anthem Church, I know that in this, in this city, you have been going out with the gospel. You've been taking it forward. In, in the, the church of Ephesus, I, I love in Acts chapter 19 where it says that uh, this had continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It, uh, Ephesus was kind of the gateway city to, to Asia. And it says because of what they had been doing, all of Asia heard. Asia is a big place, right? But, but he's saying, I know your works that you toil, you, you work hard. It's not just this passive, like, I'm going to take my Bible to school or to church, and if somebody asks me a question, then I'll try and fumble through the gospel. It's, it's this actively pursuing, actively going forward, actively sharing, actively going out. He says, good job. He says, not only do I know your toils, right, your work and, and going forward, but, but your endurance. It's, it's like the toil, it's that, that actively going out, but the endurance is like just resting in God, like not, not letting things come in, not, not letting things get us off the track of, of what God would have us do. Because in Ephesus, even though these people had been radically changed by God, their culture hadn't. Have you ever thought about that? In Ephesus, we read about these people who did all of these different things and were encouraged, but their culture was still very much hostile to the gospel. I mean, it, it was very much it, culturally to be, we, we talked about this in, when we looked at the very first uh, few verses of, of Ephesus, to be an Ephesian meant you're a worshiper of Artemis. Like that's, if someone were like, I'm from, I'm from Ephesus. Oh, you're a worshiper of Artemis. Like that just went hand in hand. You, they, they just believe that if you are from this place, you're a worshiper of this demon God. And so to be a Christian and to be an Ephesian meant you came against your culture. It's like, I'm not just going to go the way of my culture. I'm not just going to go the way that everybody else thinks I should just because of, of the way I look, just because of my skin color, just because I'd say I'm an Ephesian. No, I'm going to stand against that. And they endured that opposition. They endured. I mean, can you imagine like them going home for Christmas? And it's like, what are you doing? You're an Ephesian. Yeah, but I'm a follower of Jesus. No, we're not followers. Of, we're followers of Artemis. And yet they endured. They endured that opposition, that cultural opposition. Not only was, was the temple of Artemis this huge thing in, in Ephesus, that it was this cultural pride, point of pride, but, but not only that, but it was the center of commerce in that culture. I was reading a commentary that said that like a lot of banking most likely happened in this huge temple. And so if you wanted to go take care of business, you went to the temple. Even, even these people, the, the Nicolaitans, one of the things that it was said that they were known for was that they, even though they claimed Christianity, they still sacrificed to different gods. There were 50, somewhere around 50 gods and goddesses that were worshipped in, in the city of Ephesus. And the Nicolaitans would basically say, well, I, I can be a believer. I can be a follower of Christ, but still sacrifice to these different gods because I have to sacrifice to these gods in order to be in this certain trade guild. In order to, to have the, the, the perks of being in this group of people because of my trade, I'm just going through the motions. I can still be a follower of Jesus, but I can, and that was the, kind of the common idea. You can still, you can still sacrifice. You can still be a part, 
and say that you're a follower of Jesus. And yet they endured all of that. There was still so much sexual immorality in this, in this city. One of the, the ways that people would worship these different gods was to have sex in the temple. And, and they're like, Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not good. And you have endured all of that. Way to go. And, and he, he says, like, you, you have kept on hold of sound doctrine. He talks about the apostles who are coming in and they've tested him. There, there were so many people in the life of the early church where these people would come in and it's like, okay, it's great that you follow Jesus, but you need to do more. Right? We, we read about the Judaizers in different places in the New Testament. And these people would come in and they would say, that's great that you believe in Jesus. But, but in order to be truly saved, you also have to follow these customs. And you have to do these different things. And you have to jump through these hoops and all of that. And Paul, so many places, comes against these people. And he's like, no, don't listen to them. It's by grace we have been saved. Right? And, and through all of this, the, then he goes to, to the Nicolaitans and he's like, and you hate the Nicolaitans, which I hate, which is interesting that we read Jesus saying that he hates people. It's not really, like, doesn't that, it's like, ugh, feels weird. And yet, Jesus is also called the good shepherd, isn't he? You see, if somebody is to be a good shepherd, that means they are in opposition against the wolves, Right? To, to be a good shepherd means that people who come in and actively try and carry away your sheep, you are gunning for them. <laughs> That's what a shepherd does. They go after those people and Jesus is saying, look, the Nicolaitans, those people who say, oh, no, 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 no. Let's not get too crazy about our faith, right? You can still, you can still engage in sexual immorality. It's fine. You can still sacrifice to these idols. It's okay, and there, there were different reasons that they justified these things. But the basics of it was they said, well, you can still do these things and slap a Jesus fish on your car and you're good. And Jesus is saying, I hate that. And you do too. Way to go. They held on to sound doctrine. Can you imagine, as Todd is reading this letter to us, Anthem Church, 15 years in the future, I, it's like, all right, right? I mean, I can just imagine sitting by my wife and being like, we're doing good. Jesus is saying, I know what you're doing and way to go. Let's go. And I, I can just imagine sitting in the seats right there and like looking across the aisle at maybe Stan and being like, yeah, right? And, 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 and just like feeling like, we got this. And yet, that's where Jesus turns a corner in this letter. And in verse 4, he says this. But I have this against you. <laughs> Put yourself in that position, right? You're, you're here, and it's like you're, you're feeling good about yourself, and then that comes up. But I have this against you. It's like, uh-oh. It says in verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Isn't it so interesting that, that at, the, at the end of that long list of, of saying, boy, way to go, let's go. Like he, he comes to the point and he's like, yeah, but you guys have missed it. That's, you're doing so good in so many areas, but you miss the main thing. You miss the point. It's what, what Paul is saying at the end of the letter. He says, grace and peace to all, all the brothers who love Jesus with the love incorruptible. It's, you see, 
Obedience apart from love, it misses the point. You can't separate love from obedience. I love in, in John where Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And he says, you can't separate love from obedience. But understand that obedience separated from love is missing the point. It's like uh, I, we were talking this past week. It's like, it's like a bun without a hot dog, right? If you have a bun without a hot dog, what is it? We're a small group here. It's not a trick question. <laughs> it's a bun, right? What if you put chili on it? Because I love chili on my hot dogs, right? You got to really dress up a hot dog for me to like it, right? What if you put relish and peppers and everything in this bun? What do you have? A chili bun, right? Yeah. It's not a hot dog, though. It's not a hot dog until you put the hot dog in it, and then it's a hot dog, right? See, Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, look, you guys have been doing so much, and you're doing so good, but you're missing the point here. You're missing it. There's, there's things that are lacking, and, I, and I'll be honest with you. I struggled with this this past week, especially because if I were in that crowd and I'm hearing like all of these different things that we're doing good and it's like, all right, yeah. And, and just imagine like the, the stress and the trial and, and all of the things that these people had to endure. You, do you realize that in Ephesus at this time, if you were a non-Jewish person, you were required to see the current emperor Domitian as a god or you were liable to be put to death. I mean, that was... That was some of the things that they were coming against. And for me to sit there and hear all these different things, and yet then Jesus say, but I have this against you. You're not doing it in love. I'd be like, who cares if I'm not doing it in love? I'm doing it, right? I'm, I'm doing it. It seems like that's, that's the point. And yet Jesus saying, no, it's not. Can you imagine? I mean, we, we do this different ways. We, I believe that, that sometimes we say, well, we're Bible believing. It's like, okay, yeah, but, but are you loving? Because Jesus says they will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. We can say, well, I'm truth speaking. I'm a truth speaker. Yeah, but do you speak the truth in love? Because the Bible says we're to love one another a lot. We love people. Do we, do we truly do that? We see that all throughout Scripture. The, one of the most uh, common places in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably heard this at a lot of weddings, right? 1 Corinthians 13, sorry, verse 1, it's up there. says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Guys, I'll be honest with you. I could totally see myself slipping into this mindset of the Ephesians. Holding on to sound doctrine, holding on to all these other things, but doing it apart from love, separated from love, because we, we live in a very difficult society. I don't think any, any of us um, will be guilty or in danger of being put to death for what we believe here in America. But there are, there are things that are difficult in our society. And, and I believe that there are times where I start to look at these things that are difficult, these things like, you know, I, it's hard because part of this, I'm like, I'm, I'm not a doomsayer. But if you, if you look at some of the things, like just even to say, you know, the, the idea of sexual purity, 
to look at the Bible and say, we can follow the Bible in the way we, we enjoy sex. It's like that is countercultural. That, that we can look at the Bible and we can see, oh, there's, there, it, there are things that we can follow in here that, that it is truth and it's absolute truth. And people look, hear that and they're saying, well, but that means you're narrow-minded and you're a bigot and you're a racist and you're all these different things. And, and guys, I, I see that on the horizon. We do, we live in a difficult situation, but then we live in a difficult society on the other side too, where we see people who claim, who claim like to be evangelical Christians people in the spotlight who claim evangelical Christianity and, and they do things that are so counter what, what it actually says in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but me, I'm like, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be in that. And there are times where it's so frustrating and we can get so frustrated and we can just like put our head down and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold on to sound doctrine. I'm just going to, you know, and it's like, I, I hate all of this that's going on. So I'm just going to separate myself from that. And, and not only that, not only the, the society and the culture we live in, it's difficult, but, but guys, sometimes I can see a sliding myself sliding into that area of the, uh, of the Ephesians and the fact that if I'm honest with you, there are times where I see people as like obstacles. I see people as, as obstacles or, or to-do lists, right? I, I go from, from being on mission and seeing people the way that Jesus sees people as hurting and in need of the gospel and in need of, of grace and mercy and truth. And I see people as like obstacles in my way to to get to heaven and to live a pure life and all of that. I, I don't know if you guys can relate to that. I, social media, I think, is terrible in this. You know, you get on, get on things like Facebook and you see people saying things that are just so contrary. And what, what, what do we want to do? Don't we want to just fire off like biting comments and like tag a, a Bible verse on the, on the bottom of it and just shoot it out there, fire it off like as fast as we can? This is like, pew, 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 just shoot down anything, you know, from the comfort of our laptop. And yet it does not come from a heart of love for the people that we see doing this. It comes from a heart of, of bitterness and, and frustration and pride. See, see, what Jesus says here is he's saying, if we forget to love, then we have missed the point. And I love that, that he goes from, from that to saying, this is what you need to do to go back to this, right? First of all, he says, remember, right? He says, remember, and I, I, he, he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember what Christ has done to you to make you who you are. Remember who you used to be. This idea of remembering is all throughout, all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. It talks about how remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. Remember so that when you get old, you will not be of repentance. I, when I was pastoring in, in uh, northern Iowa, it came time I, I got my own intern. I feel like that's like, that's like when you've arrived, right, is when you get your own intern and you can make them do things. And, and I remember getting this intern, and he was a young guy, and he had been in my youth group when I was, uh, when I was youth pastoring, and he was, he was interning with me. And, and I can just remember thinking, this guy, what is wrong with him, right? This guy is so immature, and he's like, I, I give him simple tasks, and he can't even do it, right? The, when, uh, when he got there, I, 
I remembered that I wasn't going to be in church like, like later that month. And I, I was the only, the only guy on staff and now I had an intern. So I was like, sweet, this works out great. You just take the, you just take the morning, like have the youth do a bunch of stuff and you give a short devotional. We're good. And for some reason he freaked out. I'm like, just roll with it. Right. I mean, you have like two weeks to plan. I didn't see the problem. <laughs> I'm being super sarcastic. Okay. That, that was a problem. That was my bad. But I, I can remember just thinking, what is wrong with this guy? Just thinking he's just not getting it. And then I began to think like, you know, when I was an intern, I was like the perfect intern. <laughs> I, I don't know what his problem is. Like when I was an intern, I did everything. And then I was like, I think God just totally was like, you are an idiot. <laughs> because when you were an intern, you were the worst intern ever. And then I began to think about the, like everything that I had done when I was an intern. And I began to think about the fact that when I was an intern, uh, my wife and I, we just got married. We moved to Minnesota for the summer, and I was interning up there. And, and I really didn't do anything that was uncomfortable. And I was trying to, to figure out how to be a husband while I was trying to figure out how to do this internship. And I was, I was the worst intern ever. And, I, and, and you know what happened in that? I began to realize, like, I began to, to appreciate the grace that was shown to me when I was the dumb intern. When I was the guy that, that I'm sure my pastor who was over me was just kept thinking, this guy's the worst. What is wrong with him? And yet he kept showing me grace and kept giving me opportunities. And, and, and he didn't just kick me out of his church after the first two weeks. Like, he, he had grace for me. And I, I remember thinking, man, praise God for that man. Praise God for what he did when I didn't deserve it whatsoever. I was so terrible and undeserving. And you know what happened after that? I began to have more grace for my intern because I remembered who I was and I remember the grace that was shown to me and I remember that he needs to have grace shown to him. See, Jesus is saying, look, when you put yourself in a place of remembrance and you remember those of us who are followers of Jesus and who have experienced the grace and forgiveness, when you remember who you were, that when you were still in sin, when you were still without hope in the world, Jesus died for you and he gave himself for you because he loves you. And he gave grace that you did not deserve and you did not earn. We remember when we remember that and we remember and we're like, oh, praise God for that because I was the worst. You know what happens is that our love for people begins to grow. When we remember our love for God, our love for people gets gets bigger and better. And when we go out and we remember like, oh, yeah, I remember the time that I did that. And I'm glad that people showed me grace. So you know what? I'm going to show them grace. Remembering puts us in a place where we can then repent because that's the next thing that Jesus says. Not only remember from where you've fallen, but repent. What would it look like for these people to repent? Because that idea of repent is to turn, right? It's to go one way and repent means to turn from that. Jesus isn't saying repent from your toil, repent from your works. He's not saying repent from your endurance. Not saying repent from hating the Nicolaitans because he's saying, I hate them too. They're the worst. What he's saying is repent from your pride. Repent, repent from your self-righteousness. Repent from that idea that, that I, it's like me with my intern. It's like, oh, I was so much better than this guy. Right? Why can't he get it? I could. It's like, no, you actually couldn't and didn't and wouldn't 
and couldn't. It's like, there's so many things. It's like, no, you were terrible. When we turn from that pride, when we turn from that self-righteousness, we can begin to see people the way God sees people, the way Jesus sees people. And our love for Jesus, as it grows, our love for people continues to grow. We need to repent from that, just like they did. And then he says, return, repent, and, and kind of this idea of reform. He says, go back to doing what you did at first. There, there are times where we get in this idea of like just gratefulness for what God has done for us. But as time goes on, that gratefulness can turn cold and that, that, that love can go turn cold. And then it becomes just about religion and it becomes about just going to church and going through the motions. It's, it's like in a marriage where you get to that place and it's like, I don't know. Like, I've heard people say this all the time. It's like, I just, I mean, they're fine. I just don't love them anymore. It's like, well, what made you love them in the beginning? You can't, you can't physically go back to like the first kiss and the first date and feel those like superficial butterflies. But, but true and lasting relationships aren't about the superficial butterflies. It's about the reality that you fell in love with this person for a reason. You fell in love with them because of, uh, because of who they are or what they've done or, or whatever, but, and, and what, Jesus is saying, he's saying, go back and do the things out of a motivation for love because of what I've done for you. Go back and maybe there are things in your life that you need to burn your books like the, the Ephesians did. And, and I was joking with the guys. It's like, I don't know if they had any more witchcraft books, but maybe they needed to burn their purpose-driven life book, you know, that, that took the place of scripture in their lives. Maybe there were things that, that it's like, yeah, this has become too big for me and I need to give that up. But it's not just out of obedience, but it's out of love, a motivation for love. Because, guys, when we, when we love out of that, when we obey out of, an, out of a motivation for love, people see that. We are, we are called to obey. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. I put this up there. Psalm 15, 16 through 17 says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and con contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. See, David, the psalmist there, is he's saying, obedience, yes, we should be obedient, but you want our heart. As Anthem Church, our vision for Anthem Church is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. You know why we don't just say our vision for Anthem Church is to help people obey Jesus? Because obedience apart from love is just behavior modification. And it's missing the point. Guys, when we walk in obedience, motivated by love, we shine the light of Jesus. Did, did you catch the judgment there, what Jesus says? Jesus says, if you don't repent, if you don't turn from this, if you don't realize that, that obedience is great, but it needs to be motivated by love. He says, if you don't repent and turn from this, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to take away your lampstand. That idea of a lampstand, it's the church. It's the influence of the church. It's this idea that if you don't, if you aren't motivated by love and if you don't remember what's happened to you, if you don't remember who you were and what Christ did for you to make you who you are and so that you can love others well and more completely. He says, I'm going to come to you in other translations says, I'm going to come to you quickly. I'm going to take away your influence. To me, that's, that's a scary thing. 
Because love, sometimes it's, it's like you can't, you can't see it. It's like, well, they're doing everything right. But is it motivated by love? What would that look like? What would it look like if we actually did this, if we were actually obedient out of a motivation for love? I, I was thinking of a few things this past week. And I think, I think one of the things is like, especially over the holidays, how many of you, you know, we've, we've had Thanksgiving and stuff. How many of you have gotten into political conversations over the dinner table? Thanksgiving, I went to my brother-in-law's house. His grandma is hilarious. She is old and she has a lot of opinions. And it was, I, it was so funny to listen to her, especially over the election. I mean, it was like, it was crazy. Um, it was like a TV show. And, um, but, but how many times, what would it look like if we were motivated by love when, when these conversations of politics come up, that instead of, instead of them being about like exalting Trump or demonizing Trump, they were focused on love, love for people, love for, for what God wants to do in our country, love for, for, for what, what can happen, prayer for, for Trump, prayer for the people that he's, he's nominating, right? What would happen if we steered those conversations into love instead of about what Trump is tweeting out or, or all these different things? What would that look like? What would those people in, in your spheres of influence, I wonder what would happen, and no matter what side they're on of this whole situation, I wonder what would happen if instead of getting into arguments, we just started talking about the love that we have for people and for God. And we hold on to truth, but we hold on to truth motivated by love. What would happen if when we turn on the news or if we get on Facebook and we see people rallying in the streets, what would happen if we, instead of seeing people who are just being ridiculous, what would happen if we saw people who are actually scared? And we saw people who are actually hurting. And we saw people who actually needed the light of Christ that this church, that these people, that us can offer because Jesus is with us. What would happen if we saw them with the, the eyes of love instead of pride? Instead of bitterness, instead of self-righteousness, I wonder what would happen if when we are out in the stores and if we're out on the streets and, and as, we, as we get frustrated about all the people in Target and the slow cashier and, and the people that are driving like idiots, you know, because they do, right? What would happen if instead we remember the time that we were the idiot? I used to get super bad road rage until I realized that I am not a good driver. <laughs> and then, you know what happened? My road rage went away because I'm like, praise God that somebody doesn't flip me off when I cut them off. Praise God that they don't just rear end me like I wanted to do to that guy the other day. You know, it's like, praise God that they showed me grace when I needed grace. What would happen if we started looking at people through the eyes of love? What would happen? Guys, I truly believe that we would shine with the light that people need to see. I, I'll close with this. A, a couple, at the beginning of the, the year, um, my wife and I, we went down to Tennessee and, and um, we saw, as we were coming back, we went to this conference and as we were coming back, there was an accident on the interstate and uh, the, the traffic was backed up forever. I mean, we just shut the car off and people were getting out of their car and just hanging out. Like one guy even ran off into the woods and went to the bathroom. Like it was, it was kind of surreal. Um, and, and it was like, how long are we gonna be here? And, and as we kept 
waiting there, um, sure enough, a couple cars would drive down through the median and up the other side and just take off. And I don't know where they were going, but they're like, you know, I've had enough of this. And uh, after a couple cars did that, this one little car decided it was going to try it. And so this car went down through the median and it was wet and, and it gets up and, you know, and if it were me, it's like, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm just putting the metal pedal down. I'm going for it. Right. That's what my dad taught me. If you run off the road, just go faster. Um, I don't know if that's the right, right thing to do in every situation, but that's what he told me. And so these guys, they, they went down and, and, and they just kind of, you know, creeping along and they get into that place and sure enough, they get stuck. It's like, well, yeah, that's what was going to happen. And, and so it was funny because all of these people around us in these cars just started kind of cheering and they were laughing at them and, and I'll be honest, it was like, oh, look at those guys, right? I mean, what did they think was going to happen? So this guy gets out of the driver's seat and, and they're kind of looking around at the car and you can tell they're just stressed. And I realized in that moment, it's like, I could help them. So I get out of the car and I walk down there and I was just like, all right, guys, get out. And there's four of them in there. So I'm like, what do you, what do you think it's, what do you think's going to happen? Like, you got to get out of the car. So they get out of the car and, and we start pushing and we get them pushed out and, and they're like, oh, we didn't know what we were going to do. We were going to call a tow truck. I could just kept thinking, there's four of you. You didn't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Like, your guys, push it out, right? I didn't say that. That wouldn't be loving, right? <laughs> See people with a heart of love, right? But I, I remember getting out, and it's like, if that were me, I would want somebody to do that for me. If that were me, I would want somebody to look at me with that heart of love, to hold on to truth, but to understand that if it's not motivated by love, then we're missing the point. And, and yet, then again, the other day, as I was driving home this past week, I drove past this, this couple on this side street and they were, they were either taking out a dishwasher or putting a dishwasher back into their house and it was a guy and this girl. And, and I remember thinking, you know, I should stop. But as I kept driving past them, it's like, I should really stop. And as I watched them in my rearview mirror, I kept thinking, I should stop. And then I got home and I forgot about it. There are so many times, there are so many times where we have the opportunity and the chance to see people with love. There are so many times where we have the opportunity as a church, especially over Christmas, to say, what would it look like if I looked at that person with love, if I held on to truth, and if I obeyed out of a heart of love? Guys, we're going to take communion now. And as we do, I want to encourage you. Like, like I said, you know, Jesus says, remember the height from which you have fallen. It says, remember, right? And, and when we remember, it does something different to us. When we remember, there, there, is, there is grace and forgiveness. And, and when we remember, there is love that, that we, can, we can remember who we were and what Jesus did for us. And our love for God increases and our love for people increases. And, and that's what communion is. As we go to these tables, there's two tables. There's gluten-free over here if you need these. And, and as we go to these tables and as, as you break off a piece of bread and as you dip it in the, in the juice, as you break that bread, Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. And as you dip it in the juice, that Jesus says, this is my blood which was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Guys, I believe that there are some things in our lives that we need to repent from. So easy to fall into pride. It's so easy to fall into self-righteousness. It's so easy to, to, to look at people through the lens of, of frustration instead of love. 
And yet this morning, as we take communion, I just want to ask you, what are the things that you need to repent of right now that 15 years from now, we don't get a letter from Jesus saying, this I have against you. You're doing a lot of good things. Way to go. Keep that up. But if you don't repent from this, you will no longer be a church. Guys, as we do, the bands, they're going to lead us in this song. I just want to encourage you, whenever you're ready, go, go to one of the tables. And as you take communion, I would just encourage you, take that time to repent. Allow God to search your heart. Allow him, allow him to point out pride or self-righteousness or bitterness that you may have towards somebody else. And surrender that to him so that we can remember the love of Jesus. Love for him can grow and our love for people can grow too because that's what we need. That's what this city needs. That's what this country needs. That's what we need to do and that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love for us. God, I praise you for your grace to us, God. And and as we take communion, my prayer is that we would continue to be reminded of the grace that we have been shown. God, allow us to remember Allow us to remember who we were. And for some people who are in here, God, I pray that you would point out who they, who they are still. And God, I, I praise you for the fact that, that as you write this letter, you are telling the Ephesians that you are there with them. You are in the midst of, of their works. You are in the midst of what they are doing. You are not from a, a long ways off writing this letter. You are right in the thick of it with them. And I praise you for that. And as we take communion, God, help us to, to understand that you loved us first and that's why we can love. And God, if there are people in here who have never experienced your love, God, I pray that for the first time this morning, they would. God, allow us, our, allow our love for you to continue to grow so that our love for people would grow and we would see people through your love. Praise you, God. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you.